0: Welcome to the Education and Training Foundation Leadership Mental Health Podcast Series, Changing Your Culture to Embed Mental Health and Wellbeing at the Heart of Further Education. These podcasts are part of a wider programme developed for ETF by the Association of Colleges, designed to create space for leaders to reflect on and share their journey towards self awareness and positive mental health, including a trauma informed approach. This project is based on the belief that through listening, learning and leading by example, a culture shift can be embedded, starting from the top. I am Polly Harrow, Assistant Principal at Kirklees College, and today I'm delighted to introduce Mike Driscoll, Chief Operations Officer of Southampton Engineering Training Association. So welcome, Mike, and thank you for joining this podcast today
1: thank you very much pauline it's an absolute pleasure to be here
0: so mike can we start with you giving a little bit of an overview of what you do and the scale of the work that you're involved
1: in CETA, as we're more commonly known, Southampton Engineering Training Association. We're based in Millbrook, which is in Southampton. So we're on the south coast. And we've been here since 1969. And what we do is engineering apprenticeship training. And we have currently got around 200 to 220 apprentices enrolled with us here across a range of different apprenticeship standards within the engineering sector.
0: Those 220 apprentices are all based in one building, are they, with you? They're not scattered.
1: They are indeed, yes. So we have a facility here in Millbrook which is uh, large enough, fortunately, to accommodate this large number of engineering apprentices. They work with various companies across the UK. So we are situated right in the heart of Southampton. We have lots and lots of good relationships with local employers and the employers that we work with, of course, further afield that come to us for that particular service. So engineering is what we do mechanical engineering electrical engineering maintenance engineering design planning project management all those wonderful things so we're really well known in the sector and we're good at what we do
0: so mike i was particularly excited to be talking to you because of course we know about the particular issues around young males seeking or not seeking support for their mental health and we know about the suicide rate in young men and suicidal ideation, which is a real concern. Can you talk to me a little bit about your gender mix? You have males and females in your cohort?
1: We do. And I think in terms of the engineering sector, I think the um, balance of males and females is around 86% male, 14% female ratio. And that's reflective of where we're at here at CETA. So we have a large number of young males, typically, that have left school. So they're 16 some of them are 18, some of them are 20. And of course, with the way with the apprenticeship levy now is set up. People can do an apprenticeship at any age. So we have the whole range range from 16 all the way through to people in their 40s and 50s here in the centre studying engineering apprenticeships. So a large number of males, a smaller number of females, lots and lots of mental health issues, though.
0: Okay, Mike, that's really interesting because I I am keen to come back to your uh, female cohort as well. But when we come to the males and you're talking about lots and lots of mental health issues, talk to me a bit about that. What mental health issues and what kind of scale and how do you know that they're there?
1: Well, it's interesting, really, Polly. We've gone on a journey here at CETA over the last 10 years in terms of mental health. Within the engineering sector, it tends to be a very taboo subject still young males in particular, don't generally want to come out and discuss their mental health issues and mental health concerns. And so what we've done here at CETA is we've put in place several steps, several measures to try and encourage young males, young people to discuss and share their mental health concerns. But what's really emerged in the last few years is lots and lots of concerns regarding things like gambling, money, addiction. We've had apprentices that have come into the centre and wish to speak about their home lives their backgrounds trauma that they're facing sort of outside of their working world many of them are carers of their families and so what we're finding now is more and more young people are actually becoming the parents the guardians of their siblings their family members friends even and the pressure upon young people is is just phenomenal. So what we've done is we've gone on this journey and we've put in place several things to support young people with their mental health concerns. And that forms and manifests itself in many areas in terms of staff training, in terms of tutorial awareness with our young people, so that they get to talk to professionals about their issues and concerns. And that's been a really, really powerful step forwards. And what we're now finding are more and more young people coming out and talking freely about their mental health concerns and seeking support for it. So it's breaking down those barriers, the traditional barriers within certainly the engineering sector and with young people. The culmination of the effect of both has been quite challenging, but we are making good progress. And so we find ourselves today in a position where nearly one in four of our male apprenticeship cohort have come forward to say, I need help. I need to speak to someone. Would you help me with this query? Would you help me with that? That sort of thing.
0: One in four is extraordinary. And whilst it's very worrying, it's also very realistic. And you're also clearly doing things which are really landing to get that kind of response. When we do mental health support really well, we can then get overwhelmed with the demand. Do your apprentices have a clear tutorial? time then they have that space do they that's in their program
1: yeah absolutely and what we've done is we've reserved some time on a friday morning where we run a tutorial scheme and that tutorial scheme covers many different areas from sexual health awareness through to gambling awareness through to safeguarding and prevent issues through to mental health concerns etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's been a really really powerful tool for us to bring the young people together and and actually bring professionals in to have those proper and right discussions about all these different aspects. And what that's done is it's encouraged people to talk. It's encouraged the candidates to come forward, make disclosures and actually request support for help that they've not been able to receive previously because they feel a little bit shy or intimidated to, to actually come out and ask for it and so that's been a really really positive step forward we've also shared that with our employers so of course apprentices are employed they're employees as much as it's important to engage with the young people it's important to engage with employers and make that awareness known so that we can embrace the whole program together jointly as a, as a unit as it were and enable that to continue not just here within the center during the training the initial phases of the off-the-job training But when they're back in the workplace, too, so that they get that support and connectivity and we can build relationships up with contacts at their uh, workplace so that the support can continue.
0: That's fantastic, Mike. And I think that it really will resonate with a lot of listeners that typically apprentices, when they come into colleges, say, don't get that tutorial time. And so we're always trying to squeeze in some kind of pastoral care and help. And we have all sorts of strategies for how to do that. But it's really interesting that you've prioritised that and actually given your cohort that very specific time for self-reflection and, of course, for disclosure. Do you have referral pathways externally then, or do you have any in-house kind of counselling support or anything of that nature?
1: We're set up really, really well here at CETA. What we've actually done is reconfigured our pastoral services team and a mental health support team so that they're actually sat in the front of the building. It's the first base, first support call. so, you know, apprentices that come in in the morning on a Monday, for example, at half past seven, quarter to eight, can wander through and actually knock a window, go through a door and speak to someone directly about their issues and concerns. So we have an open door policy. We also have lots and lots of contacts within our local agencies here within the Southampton area. So things like Solent Mines have been really fantastic. We've also got lots and lots of support with the National Health Service um, in terms of sexual health engagement that we've put in place for young people to actually go and talk about their concerns and issues, and also a support network within our employer circuit too. So specialists within the engineering sector that have those skills and knowledge to Help support with mental health concerns that are perhaps a little bit above and beyond where we can offer the support here at CETA. But certainly, the referral system is in place, and should an issue arise, then we can deal with that pretty much immediately. We've got several members of the team qualified in mental health support, trained and mental health first aiders, and safeguarding. And so they uh, all sit together pretty much in terms of layout and location. They're all identifiable and known to the apprentices so that they know where to go, who to go to and where to go for support. We've even got things like a sofa, a cuddly sofa and some toys and and things in in a room, pastoral services room. So should an apprentice want to go in and talk, you know, they can sit down in comfort. They can pick up something off the sofa. It could be a cuddly bear, for example, and have that confidence and have that ability to talk openly and freely whilst feeling supported and welcomed.
0: I'm a bit speechless really, Mike, because it's so rare that we kind of hear um, this around caring for apprentices. This is amazing practice that you're describing and how wonderful and how lucky your apprentices are. But it's what we absolutely need. Without this, we do overlook the needs of our young people, particularly our young males who might just need that five minutes sitting down and squeezing a stress ball or speaking to somebody or, you know, and as you say, the increase in caring responsibilities and traumatic lived experience. Have you found an increase post-COVID? Did you feel that the pandemic had quite an impact on this?
1: Absolutely, Polly. Yes. In terms of returning from COVID, this is where we've seen a significant rise in mental health concerns and safeguarding concerns. The numbers have just shot up. Prior to COVID, I think we had a ratio of one in 10. So for every 10 apprentices, um, there would be one come forward typically within the cohort to say, please can I have some help? Please can I have some support? And now, as I say, we've got this ratio of one in four. So 25% of the cohort knocking the door and asking for that level of support. And so we've had to tool up to use an engineering expression to meet the need, to meet the demand. And we recognise that early on through data that we collect and measure in terms of the number of mental health concerns that are raised and safeguarding concerns. And it's been a journey for us here. We've worked really, really closely with our apprentices and our employers to ensure that we're all ready and we're all here to support. And I think it's fair to say that the apprentices do feel supported, you know, if you speak to them and quite often we'll do training and development with our apprentices to measure and test the effectiveness of our mental health systems. They know where to go. They know who to speak to. And what's really, really good now is that they're talking to each other about their mental health concerns and sharing their feelings and emotions. I suppose 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. It was a very taboo, dark area not to be approached for many people. And that includes the staff here too. So the whole culture for the company has moved forward. And it's something that we embrace and support to the best of our abilities now with.
0: So you clearly have got a lot of relational practice going on in your organisation. Have you found that that's had an impact on attendance and retention?
1: Yes, I think so. I think in terms of retention, absolutely. Where we've had mental health issues and apprentices have typically turned up late or or not turned up at all, that's been a kind of correction that's been noted through our attendance monitoring procedures. Um, Of interest, I think, also has been the engagement with our apprentices, parents and guardians and carers, and in particular, things like information advice and guidance sessions that we run. So even before the apprentices start, we, we try and meet with the carers, the parents, the guardians of our apprentices and talk to them about these services that are in place. So that the catch blanket is there, basically, so that we're ready before they even arrive here for their first day of learning to support and engage with them. And that's also had an impact on their attendance and their retention, because if the family feels supported and the young person feels supported, the support network is in place. And of course, challenges can be overcome.
0: I was writing a blog for ETF only yesterday, where I was talking about communication, behaviour being a form of communication and communication always telling you something about, can you see me? Am I important to you? Am I wanted here? Am I welcomed? And those are meeting the basic needs of young people who have been traumatized by many things, not just COVID, but by eco-anxiety or war or what we're discovering about systemic practices through the Casey Review, the Me Too movement, trying to resist the impacts of Andrew Tate or misogyny, violence against women and girls. And so on. There's an awful lot there for a young person to to try and navigate through within, as we've said, the backdrop of fear and loss and estrangement that many went through through the lockdown period, as well as lost learning, of course. So the primary goal has got to be, in my opinion, welcoming and wanting those young people to come through the door. And we have to do things differently differently we have to respond differently to young people we can't go back to pre covid methodologies that aren't are no longer fit for purpose so it's so refreshing to hear everything you've got to say I'm wondering about how you embed this in terms of policy, strategy and procedure. Do you write any of this stuff down? Have you got policies and strategies which all staff buy into?
1: Absolutely, yep. And we have a quality manual and a quality system and our whole safeguarding mental health first aid mantra has been written up and formalised in terms of policies and procedures New staff that start with us here at to go through their new staff induction process. And of course, that entails looking at the policies, reading and reviewing them, and then undertaking training to ensure that the policies are understood and, and that people have got a, a really good grip on the post-COVID changes that have been introduced. Because it is a big cultural change in terms of where we were to where we are now and, and the, the things that we've had to do to adapt and change have been phenomenal. And so those policies are in place. We work very, very closely with our network of employer providers here in the South, and we belong to various organisations and institutions that we share best practice with. And also we work very, very closely with the employers. And I think we mustn't underestimate some of the good practices that our employers have brought into their businesses and how that could work here in terms of the educational sector. So in terms of their support networks, their HR, their medical practices and procedures and things that they have that level of engagement of, certainly in terms of what we do here, you know, we're, we're looking at that and thinking, wow, that's really good. Let's have a look and see how that could work here in terms of our setup, in terms of our apprenticeship training centre and then there's the physicality the location of all these things the mental health first aid not boxing it in a room so that it is there and that's the place to go if you need it's everywhere it's the culture it's the ethos it's there in the front of the building it's there at the back notice boards policies procedures are wonderful but not everybody has time to read through every single page so we've got lots and lots of information flyers and guidance Staff lanyards at the very back when you turn them over have got guidance on where to go and what to do if you need support and guidance. The same with the apprentices. They've got little cards that we use so that they've got everything to hand. We're in the generation, I think it's fair to say, where things have got to be found very quickly for young people. And if they can't find something within three seconds, they're not going to bother finding it. So we have that level of connectivity and that's embraced through induction and the whole culture of what we try to do. But there's room for improvement. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. We know that. But we're doing all we can and very, very receptive to making changes to make sure that you know we are doing as much as we can for the future generations of young people that come.
0: That kind of responsiveness is so, again, refreshing to hear about. I was reading an article quite recently where a principal of an academy was talking about, oh, this generation is the Amazon generation. They just want everything immediately. And I was thinking, well, if we understand that and we know that, we have to alter ourselves accordingly in order to respond to that. And I think this is where I feel sometimes that we can be in a fog around this and just carry on doing what we've always done and of course, that's really inappropriate these days. So that kind of connectivity that you're talking about and that responsiveness and recognition of changing needs and also the culture and ethos that you describe is just fantastic. And I hope that, I mean, you might get a lot of interest from this podcast because that's really great practice to be sharing. One of the things that we've found especially with our apprentices in engineering and construction, is that sometimes they tell us, the young males, they tell us that they're reluctant to come forward because they're worried that it's going to impact on their employment. It sounds from what you're saying that you might be able to give your apprentices reassurance that actually it really is okay to say you're not going to lose your job because you've said you're dyslexic and you're not going to lose your job because you've said you're a carer and you need some additional help. This
1: goes back to supporting employers in terms of the process of recruiting an apprentice, for example. And what we've done is we put in place a number of measures that have enabled the young people to apply for the apprenticeship and applying knowing that there's no fear of reprisal. There's no fear of not coming forward with information. Things like being dyslexic, having a medical condition perhaps, which is a bit of a barrier to becoming an apprentice. Those are not barriers. Those are things that we just need to know about so that we can make the program work for the benefit of the apprentice and the employer. And that starts at the very earliest stage. And, and it goes all the way through what we do in terms of training and development. Our tutorial program encourages apprentices to speak out. Crime, gang culture, fear of things that might be happening outside, you know, war, conflict. Let's talk about it. How do we feel about what's going on? What do we think we need to do about what's going on? Can we do anything about what's going on? And so, apprentices here feel very, very able to talk quite freely about what's on their minds without fear of losing their jobs, losing their employment. And also becoming a victim of what they've said, you know, in terms of perhaps speaking out about something or somebody that's doing wrong or causing harm or offence. So it's a big step forward. And of course, during lockdown, during COVID, that was one of the biggest barriers that we found here, that people just didn't talk to each other. Young people lost the art of communication through word of mouth, through discussion, through group discussion. And we're now working towards breaking those barriers down so that they've got that confidence back and they're able to talk and feel confident in what they're saying. We have an apprenticeship council. We've launched that pre-COVID and we've just revived it now post-COVID. So a group of apprentices that get together, meet with us regularly to talk about all sorts of things that are happening in their lives not only in their lives, but also what's happening in their apprenticeship journeys in the centre here, for example, in terms of their training. Very, very interesting conversations are had, I can assure you, about things that they want. Everything from an additional microwave oven to the break times and the rotors in terms of timetabling. So it's good. It's healthy. It's encouraged. It's something that we want to continue with. And we hope that when they return back to work, that continues in the workplace too, that they feel able to talk to their line managers, supervisors about worries and problems and concerns. And so we've put in place a mentoring training scheme for our workplace mentors and employers to understand better the needs of young people today, which are very, very different than they were three years ago.
0: That kind of open and authentic environment is one in which you can only be nurtured and you can thrive. It's so important. It's absolutely essential going forward that that our young people uh, are seen and heard. Does all this apply then to your staff as well? How do you look after your staff mental uh, well-being?
1: Again, with the staff, we have all of these systems of support available for them to access. And again, a similar ratio of staff here have made that approach to the mental health first aid team, safeguarding team for support of guidance, be it financial, be it problems at home. We've got various personal issues that have been raised and and, and referrals made to outside organisations, courtesy of us here at CETA. And that's helped with staff retention, because I think had we had not done that, we would have certainly lost several members of staff to post-pandemic effects of, of COVID. So that's very, very much in place and very well supported and received by the staff that we have. And we also do regular tutorials and things, uh, inset days, training days with our teams, so that we encourage the staff equally to discuss and share their thoughts, feelings, emotions and concerns. What's really heartwarming, I feel, is that a number of staff that have gone through the Mental Health First Aid Scheme have actually come out of that and want to be mental health first aiders themselves and so have trained themselves up and are now part of that team, which is really great and a really, really strong sign of where we're at in terms of our culture and our company. Also in terms of what we can offer the young people that come. So very, very much embraced in every single way that we can in the same way that we do with our apprentices.
0: That self-care and the prioritisation of self-care is so important And it's vital that we lead from the top, that we role model, that we understand self-care and that we understand that that is a priority and that we acknowledge that people have a myriad of things that they need to deal with. And we spend most of our time in the workplace. So when I hear about employers who are Uh, making space for menopause cafes or making space for bereavement. And we're at an age, aren't we, where many, many parents are getting older and they're dying and they're hospitalised. And this has caused so much trauma for staff over COVID, of course, those kind of situations. So it's really wonderful to hear that it's all encompassing. I just want to move on to your female cohort then. One of the issues that we have across the sector is that when you've got a minority or a very small number of women in, say, engineering, which is male dominated, how do we make sure that they're safe? How do we make sure that they're retained? We desperately want women in our STEM subjects and in our STEM industries. And what do you do about workplace banter which does come out of small and medium-sized employers sometimes. What's your experience around all of that? What feedback have you got about your female students?
1: We work with lots of young people across the area to entice them into the world of engineering shall we say um, through the apprenticeship system and we're seeing more and more engagement with young females coming into wanting to come into the world of engineering, Wanted to come into the world of engineering apprenticeships. And so here at CETA, what we've got is a pretty much reflective state of the nation, I guess, in terms of male and female makeup, with around 14% of our cohort here female. And so what we do, we mix the students up in terms of their groups, their makeup, their employers, and we monitor what happens within the groups in terms of banter, in terms of misconduct and, and, and all these sorts of things. We talk to our apprentices, and I think this shouldn't be underestimated. Talking to young people, talking to the females about how they feel, how do they feel about being in with a group of young males. And actually, the the response back is is extremely positive. What we find here at CETA is that the females generally outperform the males in terms of their engineering premise. And for the last two years in a row, it's been a female that's won our Apprentice of the Year award. And so there are positive role models, and it's making a point of having them returning to centre and impressing upon young females and the males, of course, the importance of being on time, doing your work on time, doing the work to the best of your ability and that sort of thing. Breaking down those barriers, it's about team building. It's about making sure that males and females, young people, can get on together without offence and reprisal. And so we've got the tutorial system in place, which I've already discussed. We've got groups that have been mixed, and we rotate the apprentices round our centre to ensure that they're completely mixed and, in, and taught in a dynamic way so as that they feel safe and welcomed in, in their environments and i think also in terms of banter that's an interesting question yet we see banter and there's this line that we talk about quite often and the line can get crossed and where are we in terms of what we've said and so banter is stamped out in terms of the level of severity. And I think apprentices, young people in particular, have that lack of understanding currently about where the line is, what is right and what is wrong, what's offensive and what isn't offensive, what can you say, what can't you say. And it comes back to having that level of engagement and tutorial system in place so that we can have those conversations. Banter is inappropriate. Some of this banter that we hear about, it's actually a sexual offence. Did you know? No, we didn't know. So let's talk about then. Let's talk about banter and language and the use of language and the use of certain words that you shouldn't be using. They haven't had that level of connectivity at this stage. And certainly post COVID, what we're finding is that uh, that has dropped off the radar in terms of schools having to get tag grades assessed and students through so that that's out of the way and done, ready for the next cohort. And so we find ourselves in that situation here at CETA where we're mopping up and we're putting in place all these different corrective actions. But yeah, the young females feel absolutely fantastic here. We push them, we promote them, we celebrate their successes. We want more females in engineering. Let's have them. Let's bring it on.
0: Well, if anyone's going to get them, Mike, I would say that it's you. But when we look at the years, really, of lost learning in terms of personal and social development, and then in the return to education, our focus on teaching English, maths, engineering, whatever it is, your focus on also teaching how to behave, how to communicate, how to disclose, how to trust, how to build positive relationships is just amazing. And I think with apprentices, you know, sometimes they talk about how hard it is to get an apprenticeship and how easy it is to lose one. And so they deserve our teaching in these things, in these behavioural aspects of curating their character, as well as building their knowledge. It's such a vital part of our job as educators. To finish today, how do you look after your own mental health and what guidance or hints or tips would you give to anyone in your position who's maybe just starting, who's listening to you going, I want to create that environment in my organisation? So a bit about you looking after yourself, and a bit about what advice would you give to someone starting out on this journey?
1: I have a really, really good support network here with the teams that I work with and the staff I work with. And my thoughts really are to in order to to build up this level of support it's about working very closely with the staff it's about working very closely with the young apprentices that come and building that culture so that should i need to go and have a little cry in the corner go down to the comfy sofa and pick up one of the cuddly bears i can do it too and actually i have done i'm one of the people that have gone and asked for support because I've had a bit of a meltdown, I've had a bad day, I need support, I need help and guidance. And if I feel that I've got that level of confidence to go to our members of staff that are able to support and offer that advice and guidance, I think that's a really, really big beneficiary. And I think that's something that a lot of business leaders need to consider, certainly in terms of where to go, what to do. Um, Don't feel embarrassed about it either. It's easy putting in place the policies and procedures and reading the rule book and making sure that the young people are okay, but there are trigger points. And it's identifying what those trigger points could be and making sure that you're ready to press the button before you reach that level of danger. And so I think having lots of training is good. Having contacts within the sector is another step forward. But making sure that you are able to go and have that same level of sanity that other staff members can have is extremely useful. And that's where I find myself today. I find myself in that really, really good position of being able to do those sorts of things.
0: You're an inspirational role model, Mike. You really are. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. And thank you to those who have tuned in to this podcast. This programme is delivered by the Association of Colleges, commissioned by the Education and Training Foundation on behalf of the Department for Education.